0: should spend your time preparing, not planning. Because planning typically goes out the door the first day when you don't cover the miles you wanted, or it rains on you, or you're puking because of elevation. So why even bother? So if you come prepared, that means you're ready for anything.
1: It's the Goo Energy Lab's Pinnacle Podcast. Yuri and Fatty here with I don't know, Yuri, would you say it's safe to call this the single most mind-blowing race recap episode we have ever done?
2: I would have to agree, man. I mean, I don't even think it's a contest, Fatty. We have Jay Petervery with us today, fresh off his win of the Silk Road Mountain Race. And for those who don't know, that's a uh, thousand-mile self-supported ride in Kyrgyzstan with over 85,000 feet of climbing. Holy cow. Yep. The website calls
1: it a fixed route, unsupported, single-stage cycling race through the mountains of Kyrgyzstan. Am I even saying that right? Is that, is that the way it's pronounced? That know. is
0: Kyrgyzstan. Just, every, <laughs> there's a little bit of silence. As there's,
1: everyone's like, I'm not going to say. So the clock does not stop. Prizes are not awarded. It follows gravel, single and double track on old Soviet roads that have long been forgotten and fallen into disrepair. Very little tarmac, and there may be some walking and times, great distances between resupply points. It sounds like a super fun time.
2: Yeah, and it started on August 18th and riders had until September 1st to finish the route. Oh man! So uh, I would say, Yuri, whether
1: you're looking for inspiration, information, or just an amazing adventure story, this is going to be an episode to bookmark and listen to anytime you want to scratch that itch. Jay, welcome to the Pinnacle.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
2: Jay, we want to you know keep this episode a little bit loose. Um, I mean, obviously, we want to hear about your adventure. I'm super stoked to hear about that. Um, you know, we'll talk about everything from your training, your food, your gear, and keeping yourself together through something this big. Um, but I just finished a book by Alex Hutchinson called Endure. And the last chapter was all about the power of the mind and believing, um, in yourself and, um, what you're capable of doing and the mental aspect of what you just went through this thousand mile race, self-supported through Kyrgyzstan, um, in some unbearable heat Snow, sleet, you sound like the postal service, but I want to know <laughs> what what does it take mentally, Jay, like to get through something like that?
0: Yeah, I mean there's a, you know, there's a level of certainly um you gotta be confident, but you can't be cocky. So you gotta believe in yourself and, and what you're capable of. And I think we're all very capable of doing much more than what we actually produce. Um and that's part of the reason I go to these events is because I'm always looking to go further than what I have before. Um and you just got to always be positive. You can't really have negativity around you. I mean, trying to keep a positive attitude for I mean this event took me over 8 days. I mean, that's certainly challenging, but it's it's come in time. All this is definitely experience driven to where I've gotten today. Um and I love the mental side of it because it kind of shows and it's a It's not just physical challenge. It's not just how fast your legs can pedal circles. Um, And so the mental aspect is really, you know, a big component in any endurance athlete, whether it's the day event or it's got to be even more so in a multi day event. But um, when I go to an event like this or start to prepare, I definitely do a lot of envisioning of myself, uh, what I'm doing in certain situations. I just try to. I just try to see that and dream about that and just think about it and what would I do in certain situations? And, um, and I have taught myself that there's, when I start something, there's only one way to finish and that's to the finish. So I've never actually not completed an event. Well, one time in my whole career. So it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, and i just don't know any better and that just is a powerful mind i think um knowing that i'm not going to let anything get in my way and if i do that just shows there's an obstacle and i need to overcome that obstacle and nobody's race is perfect so you're always going to have something that goes wrong and you just it's it's up to the person how they take care of it it's it's really easy to make a hard or bad situation worse. The challenge is to make that situation better and easier. And that's what I enjoy. And that's what I get out of these events. And, and, you know, after doing this for, you know, long distance racing for over 20 years, I'm still making discoveries, still learning about myself and still realizing I can like go further. I can push myself harder. I can overcome these situations easier than I used to. And so all of that is just like really amazing stuff, uh, and that's like I said. That's what I really love about these events is the mental power. That's what gets me through it. Like I'm not necessarily the fastest or strongest rider physically, but I will say I will. I am probably most mentally tough
1: for our listeners who aren't as familiar with you or the or the in you know hyper endurance discipline that you live why don't you tell us a little bit more about that experience so that we have good context for uh for the race that uh, we're going to be talking about the rest of the episode
0: sure so uh i'm 46 years old i started long distance racing when i was 23 Uh, my first event was 500 kilometers long. It was a multi-sport event. It was adventure racing. I adventure raced for over 10 years, very consistently. And then I transitioned into some ultra running and always concentrated on cycling. And I've been multi-day bikepacking since 2006. Hmm. And, um, I do, my calendar consists of anywheres from four to six pretty large events a year with a lot of other smaller stuff. So, um, my experience is really unique and not just in the, in the time and how much I've done, but I think it's unique in what my body has been, uh, capable of doing and has built up to been able to do at this point in my life. So it certainly hasn't, you know, this stuff, uh hasn't come overnight and I I have put in my time and developed the patience and have had a lot of uh experiences good and bad that have put me here. So
2: I need to interrupt here, Fatty, because Jay's being way too humble. So I'm gonna brag (laughs) a little bit for him. Okay. Glad he's I'm glad he's in a garage in Idaho, but uh I'm gonna brag for him. So I did and I'm and if I make a mistake, correct me, please Jay, but I did a rod ten times. Tour Divide six times. He's a record holder on that. Four times Dirty Kanza on his tandem. Two times Italy Divide uh, champion. Two times Arizona Trail. Um, and he did the DKXL on a tandem this year. He's done something called the Route 66, Trans America Ram, Colorado Trail Race. I mean, you name it, Jay has done it. Yeah.
0: But, yeah. Yeah, I've yep, I've done all those things. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I actually what's even like crazier is I've done like a bunch of like individual time trials, like not as part of an event, just me doing stuff on my own. Like I've done I time trialed the Ram route once. And just for giggles? Kind of, uh well, yeah, I was looking to kind of time I was looking to do Ram and then I donated all the money I raised. And then I just went and did it bikepacking style because that's how I like to do things. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it's beyond just doing events. I just do it for myself as well, which is bizarre. <laughs> but it's a great lifestyle. I can't complain.
1: No, I haven't heard you complain yet. But I, <laughs> I'm hoping to get some complaints out of you before the end of the show. <laughs> the, <laughs> Let's, let's talk about the, the event itself. And, you know, let's, uh, I mean, was there uh, specific training that went into it? Maybe that would be a first place, uh, a good first place to sort of enter into it, your preparation for the event.
0: Yeah. So the Silk Road mountain race, this was a first year event. Mm -hmm. So that alone had a lot of, um, mystique and attraction, especially being in Kyrgyzstan, right? So big travel, a lot of mystery. And so there's not a lot of information out there as far as like previous times or what the food's going to be like, or what's it going to take to do all this. So, um, there was a, a big attraction for that. So, um, so I've actually been talking to the race director for almost two years. And then last year he said, okay, we're going to launch this thing. I said, well, I'm in and, uh, and so for about a year, it's been on my plate. But by nature of my lifestyle, I'm just kind of always training. I'm always riding. But with this particular event, um, it was always looming since the beginning of the year. I said, okay, I'm going to Kyrgyzstan in August. I'm going to Kyrgyzstan in August. And maybe I need to do something a little different. Because I often show up at events at like anywhere's from like 80 to 90% fit. I'm never a hundred percent because I race too much. So there's always fatigue in me. I'm never a hundred percent. And going into this event, I kind of wanted to be more at a hundred percent. Um, so Jay and I work Jay before you go on though, tell listeners what
2: you did this year leading up to that. I sure. Mean, tell them what so, you
0: did. Yep. So at the beginning of the year, I started off with doing, um, uh, Arrowhead One Thirty Five. That's a winter ultra. Um, and I won that event. A month later, I went out and I did the Iditarod 1000. <laughs> that's on the Iditarod Trail on a fat bike in the snow. Um, that's an and a thousand
2: day. miles, right?
0: A thousand miles. That turned into an 18-day expedition. And it just so happened I was the first one there as well.
2: Just so happened. Just so happened,
1: dude. Just, by by a strange coincidence. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs>
0: And then rolled in, did dirty cans of extra large on the can- tandem, completed it. The following weekend, I went out to uh, I went to the Gold Rush Gravel Grinder, 200 miler, and I did that as well, completed it. Um, and then that's when I said, "Hey Jay, the Silk Road Mountain Race is now we're looming on about two months out."
2: <laughs>
0: Maybe I should taper. And so I said, Coach, uh, what are we going to do now? And I frustrate him in, in his own way, but it's a great challenge and he loves it. So um, he said, Well, if you really want to concentrate, you kind of got to listen to me. And I'm not going to let you do any long rides. And I really don't do any long rides anyway in my training. All my rides are somewhere around two hours. Um, hmm. And so. I did an unbelievable amount of intervals between about the the month of July and into August before I tapered. And it was awesome. It was hard for me to not do a long ride. It was challenging for me to not go to that local 100-mile gravel race or support this other event. But I didn't do any long rides, meaning all my rides were sub-two hours, and I was just floored with intervals. And it just so happened that I realized I was in some of the best shape I've ever been going into the Silk Road. And so that alone gave me some confidence. And plus, I just felt good. I didn't feel fatigued like I usually do. There's usually I just have this little thing kind of looming on me. And I didn't have it. And so it was great. Um, And I learned a lot from that. And... I'll take that and apply it down the road, (laughs) which is a good thing. Um, So that was kind of my training going into uh, Silk Road this year, and that was the physical training. Um, And like I said early on, there's this mental training that goes on, and that happens a lot when I'm riding. Um, The envisioning of myself riding through the mountains, the envisioning of myself finishing that event, Um, I knew certain aspects of the event because, um, I, of course I'm going to do research. I'm not a heavy researcher, but I do enough to help me prepare. Uh, I'm a person who doesn't make spreadsheets for races. I don't make a lot of notes. I just kind of, I do some reading. I do just kind of fun research, looking at maps and I get it in my brain and envision it. Um, and I see which direction I'm running in in the country, but I don't put this stuff on paper and, and make these graphs and this and that and run my show like that. Because I think, I think you should prepare, you should spend your time preparing, not planning because planning typically goes out the door the first day (laughs) when you don't cover the miles you wanted or it rains on you or you're puking because of elevation. So why even bother? If you come prepared, that means you're ready for anything as long as you're not too ignorant and have some sort of like idea of what's coming up. And that's about how I approach all my events. So that was kind of like the mental preparation and even like preparing for what that route might look like. Um, So and then I'm super meticulous with my gear, um, which I spend a lot of time with. Well, that was one of the
2: topics we wanted to touch on because, you know, over the years I have watched you be really meticulous and, um, you know, particular about the gear that you, uh, like evolve or, or you sort of, it seems like you tinker with it and make it its best self sometimes. And maybe brands you work with, right. Um, adopt that, you know, those changes and stuff like that. But I'm wondering if you could share with our folks, like just some of your like favorite gear hacks or things that they should have on a bike packing trip.
0: Yeah. Um, the, the gear is a, is a fun part for me. Um, I've helped kind of create different gear and different ideas and strategies of even using the gear, how to use it in different situations. Um, and it's, it's really kind of part of my job, even within some of my partnerships that I have, um, And maybe they don't always like it because I try to always get the best thing out of that piece of gear and I might even need to modify it. But um, I think that's also what um, grows sport and grows a product. If you don't have somebody pushing those limits, then 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 how do we grow? Um, So I guess uh, some of my favorite things are uh, I like to do things non traditionally, I guess. (laughs) Um, so like, uh, one of my recent ones is I don't use a full length sleeping bag. Um, so I, I have a lot of custom stuff made. So I had a, a custom sleeping bag made, um, last year that I've been using a lot and I really appreciated it a lot in this event. Um, and it's basically a tube, uh, with an opening on the top and the bottom. So I could stick my feet out and take my shoes on and off without ever getting out of my sleeping bag. I could hike it halfway up to my waist and wear it as a skirt and still wear it as I ride. So I can literally wake up out of my bivvy, put my shoes on, never take my sleeping bag off, plus get on my bike and ride away. And so that might not seem like a big deal, but if you ever woke up in in, uh, freezing temperatures.
2: In Kyrgyzstan, maybe?
0: In Kyrgyzstan, (laughs) fatigued. On night five or six and you just can't peel yourself out, it's huge (laughs) (laughs) because those things can sometimes take somebody an hour or sometimes you keep hitting your snooze because you don't want to move and get your shoes on. And all I have to do is just like kind of bend up, put my shoes on and literally get on my bike and ride away. Um, So that was kind of a fun new thing for me um, that I hope to see grow along the way um i also rode a prototype bike this year um on the ride which was pretty unique Um, tell us
1: about that what bike is that
0: so it's a salsa warbird and it's the v4 so version four and um you know it's it's been dubbed as their gravel race bike and certainly is Um, but this year, some things have been changed on it, and those things will be released actually on the 18th. So there's actually some uh, you know, there's um, some things I guess I can't talk about so much on. but <laughs> the bike the bike is feature-filled and has pushed kind of more towards the adventure category in both geometry and features. And I would not have taken the previous warbird on this ride but with these uh changes and i knew it sitting there i was like i need to take that bike and um it proved to work out awesome for me and i was glad i did that uh i like to test things in race situations not just uh riding around my community or just in my training i, I it's really hard for me to get a real finger on the pulse of something by just uh riding it in training but when i take it to a race then I really understand and and can give much better feedback from that. Um, So that was something different. Other than that, um, for me, my kit is kind of the same, same. Um, As far as your clothing layers, it's just, uh, it's basics. It's it's like arm knee warmers, and then it's one extra layer, long sleeve uh, shirt and long pants, and then rain gear. And it's really not much more than that. Um, you got to have a pretty, uh, extensive fix it kit, especially when going to a place like Kyrgyzstan, because you're not going to be able to find a bike shop to help you out midway. So having the ability to fix your equipment and trust your equipment and knowing how durable it is, it's, it's, it's when traveling like that and going to a bike packing event, you can't like skimp and just take the lightest thing. If you, if you think there's even a small percentage or a chance of it failing, there's just no, I can't risk that. Um, and I don't think people should in general.
1: What do you carry as far as tools go or other bike repair items go?
0: Uh, of course there's a multi-tool, but I'm going to like make sh- I modify that multi-tool <laughs> and make sure that each Allen key is appropriate and it's actually even long enough to reach certain bolts if you were to take i I would challenge anybody in the audience to take their multi-tool and try to uh use it on their bike Um, because a lot of times the heads are too short and you can't even reach it so it's not even useful so i make sure sometimes like i'll even carry an individual allen key and something that maybe I'm going to use more often or something um, like a number five or something or a famous one is your crank bolt, a number eight. A lot of them has to be a little deeper and one on your uh, multi-tool will not even reach that number eight. So good luck. Um, (laughs) So then I also carry a separate chain breaker. I'm not going to just use the one off the chain break, uh, off the multi-tool. I actually remove it off the multi-tool because I don't want to carry the weight. And then I carry a real shop Chain breaker. Um, the new wolf tooth pliers are amazing for breaking your chain. Um, and pliers in general are, ni- are nice to have if you have to pinch something or get a hold of something. Um, valve core remover, tons of patches, and actually, uh, you know, it's fine to go on your your road training ride with some glueless patches. But I would never recommend glueless patches going into the backcountry. Like, go old school, get yourself some glue, and bring it. And make sure the glue isn't dried up. <laughs> a little tip there. <laughs> Been there, done that. Um, so, and, and, you know, you're going to carry a cable. You're going to carry multiple different kinds of tape. It's not about just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to wrap some duct tape around my uh, pump. Yeah, you're going to do that. But think about bringing some electrical tape. It has another use. You can actually tie with it, use it as rope, and it stretches. Tapes have different uses, um, and so just good things to learn. Um, tenacious tape is another one that's really good. Tenacious tape you can also use as a patch, but it will fix Gore-Tex really well. Um, you know, zip ties. Uh, I use a piece. Uh, I have a piece of stainless steel wire in case I need to wire something together. Um, yeah, I just wrote a big gear list for another application actually. <laughs> so, so I feel like I'm How just many tubes
2: two. did you carry in Kyrgyzstan?
0: Two. Only two. Two. Yeah. Two uh sometimes I carry three, so it's like a decision I always go back and forth with um because of course there's two wheels, so two tubes makes sense and even though we all start tubeless. Um so and uh yeah, I ended up losing my tubeless in my rear, so I ended up having to tube the rear, which I pinch flatted, but um, it's fine. I mean, these are just things you deal with, and, you know, that's – you. these things just happen. Some things you can't prevent, and so – but I was prepared to deal with it, and I didn't get mad at it. I just kind of dealt with it and went about my day and just, like, patched the tube and go on, so – which, you know, then you got to run a higher pressure, so then you're kind of like, oh, boy, but – uh but everything worked out great. I was I was really satisfied with my run. I didn't I didn't break anything. You know, you always carry a derailleur hanger. Um, wheels nowadays I think are bomber. Everyone always asks Jay, you carry spokes, and it's like, I we're so far along in the in the in the wheel industry. Like uh, I use industry nine hubs and wheels, and um, the stuff is just bomber. Like you know, the enduro guys are just running downhill on it. Like I can certainly like run some gravel and be fine. So. Um, I don't carry spokes, so and knock on wood, things been great.
1: <laughs> yeah, hopefully you didn't just jinx yourself. So nah. uh, let's let's talk about the you know, the event. Walk us through the the actual ride itself, and you know, make sure that you sort of give us a sense of you know what was you know, terrain, weather, what were you eating, and you know, all of that. You know, spare
0: us no details. The event, like you said, was 1,700 kilometers. So it was about 1,100 miles. And so Kyrgyzstan is the town, the city of Bishkek is kind of the capital city. That's where we fly into, and that's where we started. And it sits at about 2,000 feet. Well, we left Bishkek with a, uh, a police escort, and he let us out which was really cool for them to be able to put that together. Mm-hmm. And immediately we are going for the first climb. And so immediately we enter the mountains, and it's kind of a tight valley, and we're just switchbacking up. Well, that first climb was 10,000 feet. Wow. And so 2,000 to twelve five, <sighs> immediately. Um, mm-hmm. So a pretty pretty big smack in the face the first call it partial day, at least partial day for me. So only about 30 of us made it over that pass that day. And out of the 98 riders, that was it. Everyone else bivvied somewhere in that climb. Um, I made it over and descended down the backside. It started to hail on me immediately as I got to the top. It was kind of a nice sunny day. And then all of a sudden, just as you're cresting up top for the last thousand, 1, fifteen hundred feet, the uh, clouds quickly came in, as mountain weather does. Hmm. hailing win the whole nine yards epic immediately but so i just pushed and it just so happened i let everyone go at the start because i wanted to have some words with my wife who was riding with a teammate so i let everyone go and i waited for my wife so i actually ended up reeling everybody in and then when i got to the top there was one guy that made it there just before me but I I didn't spare any time on the top. I wasn't there to have a conversation. I just passed him and immediately descended. Um, And so, descended, long, long time. These are big mountains. Um, So it takes, yeah, it took all day to get up, and it takes a half a day to get down. But uh, that first night was quite amazing. Um, And I rode into the night, not really sure. I go into these events pretty blind. I don't look at a rider list. It doesn't matter to me who's there. You know, I go there for myself. Compete against myself. Compete against the terrain. So I, I, I know there's going to be competition. I have a bullseye on my back. I know that, but I don't know what the other competition is. So I'm trying to feel that out the first day, um, which was kind of one of the reasons I held back immediately at the start and just waited for everyone to pass because I didn't want to dictate the pace. I'm tired uh, it's just not the best strategy all the time especially when I don't know anybody. So, um climbing up and getting through that first pass, then uh you know there's a couple of other riders uh, around that evening as we were riding and so okay, so maybe these guys are going to be to call it the competition if you will, but who really knows, it's only the first day. I know things really shake out in two and three days. Um and I don't know if I rode. I rode over 150 miles that day before I bivied, and uh, I woke up the next day traveling by myself. I pretty much traveled by myself from that very first day till the finish. I traveled with nobody, <laughs> um, and it's something I actually prefer. I was um, going
1: to ask: Is a was did you? miss having any kind of company or you
0: no. are happy
1: just, uh, to be alone with your thoughts, so to speak?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm actually pretty happy to be alone. There's a, you know, I go to events for those reasons and, uh, I'm ready for that. So I don't like, I'm comfortable with that. A lot of people aren't comfortable and then they want to team up, but I'm, I'm pretty focused when I am racing. I'm very focused and in tune with myself, my body my surroundings, where I'm at on the map, the weather, my calorie intake. So I'm super busy. People are like, Jay, what do you think about? Like I just named like a bunch of things I'm always thinking about. So I'm super focused on that stuff. And if I have people around me, it kind of distracts me. And I might make a mistake, meaning whatever that is, just like not paying attention to the map or not paying attention to my calories. So so you're like- doing
1: a job is what you're saying.
0: Absolutely. Um, it is a job. Um, and I'm okay to like, I have a strong work ethic. I always had when I did work traditionally. So it's just like, this is, this is my deal. Start to finish. I'm, I'm, I'm done working when I'm finished. And these are all the things I have to do to complete this task, but I also enjoy all this. So I hate to really call it work because work just is. (laughs) It doesn't. I don't know. <laughs> People can
1: like their work, whatever, you know, it's yeah. you know. So I I do, I do want to rewind you for a second though, because you were talking about you're thinking about eating among other things, and I I think that's something both Yuri and I are super interested in. Yuri, you were actually uh, before we were uh, before we started recording, you were talking about how Jay labels his nutrition. So give us a little bit more detail around that.
0: Oh, yeah, so um, before this event, that was like another big uh, prep thing. I wasn't sure of what the food access I, – well, I knew the food was going to be limited. I knew the resupplies were far from each other. The first time I seen in a store was on day two at 240 miles in. So I knew resupply was few and far between, and it was going to be weird local food possibly. So I carried over 20,000 calories to start. Um, and
2: that in is, the form
0: of in the form of it consisted of a bunch of goo energy uh, in the form of gels in the form of powder. Um, and then I also carried a bunch of uh, Kate's Real Food Bars, which is an organic bar, which is high density calories. I carried a jar of peanut butter <laughs> um, and then just a bunch of nuts and some chocolate. Um, No sardines? No sardines for this trip. (laughs) And then, you know, and so when I travel, you cannot take that stuff out of its packaging because it might get, um, they might take it in customs. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had this big pile of food at my house before I traveled. I had a general idea of all the calories that were sitting in front of me. Then when I brought them over there, I ripped the packaging apart. I got rid of all the packaging and just put it in plastic bags and kind of labeled it. You know, I kind of like make these like anywhere from two to 3,000 calorie bags. And so I kind of know what I'm putting in. Um, and there again, it doesn't, um, it, it, like you said, it's kind of part of the job. A lot of people have a hard time getting in calories, but I know what the, what the consequences are if I don't put them in. And it's not always easy, but you got to like kind of figure out ways, whether it's just like kind of small bites with water or just switching it up and finding something that is kind of tasty for you. And and, and I'll admit, I was very challenged for the first couple of days of eating. And I think a lot of it had to do with the elevation. Hmm. So earlier I was saying, yeah, yeah, we climbed up to 12,000 feet and then we went down. Um, if you were to look at that elevation profile of that Silk Road, the majority of the event is up between eight and 10,000 feet. So if you can imagine being in a valley at 9,000 feet, <laughs> a valley at 9,000 feet with a braided river in that valley, and then peaks on either side of you that are even towering higher with some snow caps on them and running water. I mean, it's, the, the beauty of the terrain is unreal. Um, but it's huge. And these valleys could be 50, 60 miles long at a time before you actually even get to kind of where they, uh, several mountain ranges kind of come together before you actually do the last, you know, 1,500 feet of super steep switchbacks and some rocky scree to pop back up and over again. And that was kind of like a, a pretty common theme, I would say, of the whole route. Big valleys, big terrain, popping over big saddles. Um, and there's also some, some pretty unique, cool, I I, I was calling them special tests, uh, that, that maybe we weren't so warned about. Like we were warned first about, okay, well, when you get to this point here, there might be a river. Well, there is a river, but it might be upwards of thigh to waist deep. Uh, after a rain or a, or a heavy sunny day with the snowmelt. So use caution and maybe cross in the morning. Okay, fair enough. I'm ready for that. I get there. It was more like it was calf deep and I tiptoed across from rock to rock to rock. And it was like, cool, no big deal. Well, I got to the other side and I was following the track through this grassy land filled with like Tussock head grass, if you know what that is. Those are just yep. like big heads with like voids in between. Awesome for twisting ankles, littered with like rocks and boulders. <laughs> and so I'm pushing my bike and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Special test. Uh, but one hour goes by and I'm like, huh, let me zoom in on my GPS. Where is this road? Oh, we're going over here. Two hours go by. Darn, man, how long is this? Three hours go by. I'm still pushing my bike. Now it's getting dark, and now I'm up on a scree slope getting ready to go over another crux of a pass, and it was ridiculous. So five hours later, I finally get on my bike, but that scree slope ate holes in the tips of my shoes. (laughs) Like literally, (laughs) and I was like, wow, okay. Um, And I descended all night because I got out of there Call it midnight or something. And I was like, I'm going to make it. I was pretty close to the checkpoint at that point, but I uh, was still a few hours out. But I was like, I'm not Vivian. I'm making it to that checkpoint tonight. And I got there at 3 a.m. And I was like, Nelson, thanks for that special test. Thanks for that warning. Wow, that was a five hour hike a bike. Look at my shoes. I'm not even sure if I could finish the event. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, those are the things that you got to kind of chuckle at, I guess, because. You know, I was definitely frustrated in the moment, but I definitely didn't stop. I marched on. I didn't let it get in my way, right? Those are easy things to kind of make worse and to, like, just stop and lollygag through. So five hours turns into eight pretty quickly in those situations. And those, that's just something I learned in the past. So I just stuck with it. Um, so that was kind of a, a good little, little tidbit in there. Um, and that was before the biggest mountain pass I had to do. And that was like kind of where you've seen it snow on me.
2: Yeah. So Jay, I'm wondering, you know, I'm going to flip that on its head. You took, a, you took a situation that was really worse, this mountain pass and the snowstorm and, and kind of met, made the most out of it. I'm wondering if you can walk us through that pivotal, this was what, fourth, fifth day of the event and you made a choice to um, go over a pass in a storm. Beca- and uh, I just want you to walk our listeners through your thinking, what it was like. I saw some photos from it. Um, mm-hmm. and it looked miserable. It looked like, um, Hampstead going over the, you know, <laughs> the, the big pass in Italy, seriously.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, with that said, there's kind of beauty to be found in some of those situations, but, um, yeah, so checkpoint three was at a lake, pretty, uh, famous high level, high lake, actually. Um, something at like 9,000 feet. Um, so I hit that checkpoint and it was at, a it was, um, a little, Homestay, which was really nice and refreshing. Actually, uh, I was able to take a shower there. I couldn't sleep, actually, though. Um, I wanted to sleep for four hours, only slept for three, and then I was like, okay, I'm out of here. And uh, at that time, um, there was a computer there, and I was told uh, the guys behind me were whatever. They were a ways back, but they were on their way in or whatever. So I was like, all right, I'm out of here. Um, and it was in the morning, it was 9 a.m. when I left there. And it was actually super hot around the lake, and so I'm pedaling around the lake, 30 miles or something. And now you you make a turn, and now you're going up this valley, and it was it was basically going to be a 20 mile climb um, of something like 6,000 feet or something. So it just takes a long time. Um, it's gradual at first, and you just wind your way through. And like I said, it was super hot on the bottom, like to the point, like before I started the climb, I took a break on the bottom and, um, I had to stand in the shade and like, I was eating some food and I was just like, oh gosh, this is going to be a tough, hot day. But then uh, as I'm starting to climb, a couple hours go by, uh, you know, just like mountain weather does, it sneaks in, sneaks out. And so throughout the climb, um, some clouds were coming in, it would hail, it would rain, and then the sun would come out. And it was like, one of those situations, like, I hate being cold and I don't like being touched by rain. So, like, I'll always put my, like, jacket on because, like I, like, I won't wait it out. Like, I'm like, I don't care. It's only going to rain for 10 minutes, but I'm going to put my jacket on. I can't wait. I don't like this. And so, on and off with the jacket, like, the whole entire time, just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And climbing, 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 climbing. And gosh, just took forever. And then, so, now I'm starting to, like, pay attention. To some stats, and I'm like, gosh, like how much more climbing do I got? I'm like, oh, okay, another 3,000 feet. Okay. All right, we're starting to get there. Um, and so then it's like, okay, you know, 2,500, starting to pay attention to this. Well, now the rain, and now it's raining. It's not coming in and out. It's settled in. I'm high hmm. enough in the mountains. The clouds like to sit in the high mountains like that. It just sat there. So getting rained on, gear goes on, and Sure enough, I get higher. Well, rain turns to snow. So now it's snowing on me. And uh, the rain is coming. You know, there's this like, there's nothing you could do in those situations. Like, stopping is one of the worst things you could do. Like, I would have liked to. You know, it sounds good. Like, you could dream of that. Oh, man, it would be nice to see a house right about here and take some shelter. But... (laughs) At the same time, like, that doesn't do you any favors, like, stopping in weather like that. You got to get through it anyway. And so, you know, there again, it just falls back on my experience. I know, just get your gear on, whatever that means. Like, I have rain mitts. I put those on. A rain jacket with the hood on, zipped all the way up. Um, Rain pants. You know, I have rain socks. All that goes on because you also have to think ahead. So okay, the time is going by, now we're going into, you know, late afternoon. Well, eventually it's going to turn to dark. And then if you let your gear get wet and it gets dark, like that's a bad situation. So I'm always trying to think when it's starting to rain, I'm always thinking about protecting my gear. I just don't want to get wet. Like I said, I don't like to ride in the rain anyway and get wet. Well, I'm also doing it because I'm putting on the jacket because I don't want I need to protect this because I need to wear this at night um, and so it was pretty neat, like climbing up through the snow was certainly epic, but um there's a certain part of me that really like I get off on that actually like there's a side like knowing that you are doing this and you are perfectly fine actually in this weather, it's kind of epic, but I'm fine just because it's snowing or rain or whatever it is, and it looks epic, and it is, but ultimately, like, you're fine. Like, I'm still riding my bike. Yeah, it's getting muddy, but I'm still riding. I'm still moving forward. I can't really say it's slowing me down. It's just snowing on me. Like, um, and it was really cool because uh, media was actually up there, and so they got. You know, they got to a bunch of assets from them. I mean, there was a bunch of images and stuff and that was cool. I mean, they were super respectful of that and never affected my race and like at all, which was great. They never spoke words to me. I never spoke words to them. They just did their job. I did mine, but it was cool for them to kind of capture that. Um, but also on my way up, I seen a local and the people there are beautiful, amazing people. And I seen this little like matchbox car basically trying to get up and over this pass. And you would see anything from like a Mercedes out there to an Audi, to a matchbox car, to a military car. You seen all, all different cars out there, which was crazy in itself. Um, just locals cutting through the mountains to their yurt huts. Hmm. Um, so this particular group is trying to get up and over the mountains, but he was getting stuck. This was like rowdy mountain terrain. And this is just like some little, little car. And, uh, so the three guys were, you know, it was four people in the car. Well, three guys were out of the car, basically pushing it and putting rocks underneath the tires, trying to get this car up. And it was like, it was just like for them and like in the weather, it was just like another day in Kyrgyzstan for these guys. No big deal. Like they were just like, La, da, da, you know, and like. I see this going on and and I love that um and you could see just like how pure these people are and and just like they didn't they don't look at me like I'm crazy, just like I don't look like like at them like they're crazy, and so there's just like this mutual thing, and um it was just really neat to see these guys up there and me be up there all in the same situation, but none of us really panicking or worried about what's going on or asking like where the next shelter is or what's going to go on you know no one's worried about anything we're just moving on and moving forward in this classic situation um and yeah you you finally make it to the top and i just like smile like so happy you know like because literally from the top you're just looking down into this massive valley and you can actually see like the cloud line where it splits and the shadow now all of a sudden becomes sun. And I'm like, I just need to get down there because I know it's not raining or snowing down there and I see sun, but I got to get off of here because it's actually, you know, we're, we're pushing sunset as well and dark. Um, so yeah, it was just like this really overpowering, overwhelming experience. Um, and I, and I also know like that, that sets others back. Like, I I excel in those conditions in those situations, um, whereas I know in most cases it's going to slow others down. Um, and I descended that mountain. I literally, were, As soon as I got down the other side, just a switchback or two. Because climbing, I'm sweating. So all I have on is the rain gear. But then descending, like I went down like one or two switchbacks, and I literally just had to put on like my puffy jacket with the rain jacket on top and like kind of layer up a bit because now it's like freezing cold descending. And, uh, I ended up, that was a huge descent. I pretty much descended all night long. Um, and I was just thinking about that day and thinking about that mountain pass. And that kind of keeps me going. Like that's, that's truly great stuff. Um, And I, you know, I I should recognize that, you know, it's hard not to ignore. So it was great to kind of think about those things, um, descending all night into the dark, but down into this valley, which had this river in it. So I knew, and it was, it started to get super cold. Um, and I I live in the mountains and spent plenty of time there. So I know, I kind of knew what this night was going to be shaping up to be. It was just going to be a bitter cold night. Um, one of those nights where the dew sets in on you in the morning and things freeze over. And sure enough, like oh, another great episode that evening while I was descending, I got to pick up a sheep and put it on a man's horse just out of the middle of nowhere. La-da-da, descending through the mountains of Kyrgyzstan. Boom, see a flock of sheep on the hillside, come around the turn, see a man on a horse with a boy that's like as tall as my thigh with a little girl next to him, must be brother and sister, and they're both standing there with, like, these eyes, with, like, a sheep on a rope. And I look at it, I wave to everybody. I smile and wave, and I see the man on the horse kind of pointing. And so I stopped, and they like to shake hands man to man, and I was just like, oh, let me go shake this man's hand. And uh, sure enough, he's pointing at the sheep, pointing at the horse, and, like, I'm great at that communication. I know what he's saying. Um, so, yeah. I kind of picked the sheep up and threw it on a horse. I, you know, I never did that before in the middle of the evening. I
1: like to imagine that that's not what he wanted. <laughs> he wanted something completely different. They're mm-hmm. like, just let the American put the sheep on the horse
0: <laughs> and then he'll leave us alone and we can go
1: about doing our you know, our lives. <laughs>
0: So it was uh, super cool, and I just imagined them kind of having dinner that evening. <laughs> the lame sheep's got to do something with it. So, but, but way cool, right? I mean, come on. Uh, and that sheep was darn heavy. Uh, but anyway, so descending into that evening, it was like, I was, you know, this is like night six. Um, actually, it might have been night seven. So, like, you know, you, you can't have a great day every day in an eight-day race. It's just not going to happen. I was lucky to have as many great days in a row as I had. And I just did a huge monster day. Um, and so that evening, I can remember looking at my watch. I was thinking about bivvying, but it was only 9 o'clock. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a long night. And so I play tricks with myself. you know. I'm like, God, dude, just make it to 10 o'clock, Jay. Make it to 10 o'clock. So I make it to 10 o'clock, and I'm starting to stop and look at that rock. You know, it's, it's super exposed. There's no trees to hide behind. There's no shelters. So super vulnerable. But, you know, there's, there's security with sleeping next to something. So I literally stopped at a couple of rocks, and I'm like, ah, oh, just sleep. But then, no, Jay, just keep going, keep going. And I fooled myself until midnight, um, hmm. which is pretty big for me because I'm an early sleeper. Um, so I finally crawled in, made a bivvy. I seen some rolling storms rolling around, but I thought for sure in the evening, a lot of times the the sky will just go clear and big stars and it will just be butt cold. And I was like, okay, it's going to be one of those. Um, So I kind of did like a pretty good bivvy and actually climbed in it and put the hood over my head and kind of pinned it down and uh, ready for kind of, I knew it was going to get cold. Well, minutes later, a storm came in. And just, it was blowing and whipping, raining, sleeting, and snowing. And I'm not sure how long that lasted, but I'm in this bivy, this which is basically a glorified plastic bag. It's not comfortable because I'm breathing in it. So there's condensation building up inside it. It's kind of stuffy and sticky and not awesome. And it's snowed out. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, boy. So, but whatever. So I just pass out. I don't know how long the storm lasted for, but whatever, call it an hour or something. Enough to screw things up and put a moisture on everything. So, and I'm in my bivvy and I'm setting my alarm for whatever, three, four hours later. That's what I do. And the alarm's going off and I kept hitting snooze, kept hitting snooze. I'd peek out and it was still dark and it was cold. And I was very, very uncomfortable. Things caught up with me. My body blew up like a balloon, and I just couldn't move well. I just got really stiff. Uh, you know, I just didn't want to move. Body was super achy. I don't know if I missed my dose of ibuprofen or whatnot, but I was an absolute mess. Um, and so I kind of just waited for some sunrise. Call that 6 o'clock, 6.30 or something and okay jay you got to start moving but i was procrastinating hmm. i kept procrastinating and then i finally got out of the bivy wearing my glorified sleeping bag putting on my shoes just like i wasn't hustling i wasn't moving fast the zippers on my frame bag were frozen there was frost on everything my water bottle was frozen and uh, you know sleepers in the eyes puffy face it wasn't awesome. But I eventually moved and I just started walking as the sun rises. And so now I'm just like I'm stopping every 15 minutes trying to get warm, trying to get the sun on my face. I'm trying to eat. I'm trying to take ibuprofen. I'm trying to do these things to kind of get Jay kind of in a normal state of mind uh, and just a functioning body. Well, that took a you know, more hours than I wanted it to before I was able to ride again. And I had a super, super tough day after that. Um, it turned into a really hot day. Suddenly at like noon, I'm noticing it's like 90 degrees out and I still have my rain jacket and rain pants on. So I was absolutely like kind of out of it. Um, and it was washboard from hell for 40 to 60 miles. I can't even recall. But it was all day washboard it wasn't just for a little bit wasn't for a couple hours it was all day long and there wasn't a smooth line wow. and um and i finally made it out of there at like five o'clock and um that's kind of when things changed for me like you know i had this epic day over the past i had this epic night felt like a big turd that morning that day somehow just kept moving and because that's what you do, always keep moving forward. And then I made it finally off that washboard and onto this intersecting road, which was uh which was a tarmac paved road. And I was just like, oh my gosh, wow. I didn't think that like I didn't think that period of my life was ever gonna end. But they do. Everything only lasts for a certain amount of time. Might be longer than you want, but um and it did. And so I ate a bunch of food at this service and just got my self back together. And now I'm like, okay, I feel human again, but, and now my, my brain is back into the the race. Right. Like, um, and I'm thinking like, what a terrible day I had, but I'm also thinking like the, the, the finish is only a hundred miles away. Like, Jay, what are you going to do? Is this going to be your last night? Like, what are you going to do? Well, I, I, I ignored the competition because that's not kind of what I do. Like I compete against myself in the terrain mm-hmm. and sure I'm out of race. And so I can't ignore that, but it's, it, it's not my, it's not the big thing I pay attention to. But, um, I got, I, I realized there was a guy that was like 40 kilometers behind me all of a sudden. <laughs> and I pretty much had a hundred kilometer lead most of the race. And I was like, wow, I had a terrible day. There was a guy that is, like, pretty close to me. And, like, I just committed right there. I said, okay, Jay, well, you don't sleep till the finish now. And that was exactly what I did. From that evening, I, 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 I went from that point on to the finish. And so I didn't sleep the last night, which was, again, one of the most epic nights that I've had um, because it included one of those 20 kilometer hike a bikes throughout Mm -hmm. the whole evening. And that's where I destroyed my shoes to the point that my toes were coming out the front end. And there was like, there was like some mountaineering going on in this hike a bike Um, to the point like the wind was so heavy. I felt like I got blown up this kuar where I was literally marching with the bike on my back already for a couple of hours, one step at a time, just knowing I had to get through this, had to get through this. One step at a time, bike on the back, going up a couar, and the wind was just pushing me up it. It was so strong. I get to the top, go to take the bike off my back, and the wind wants to take my bike down the other side. (laughs) I literally, like... I. I'm pretty calm in intense situations and I started having like this like sick stomach anxiety and I literally like started to like puke like and I was tasting like the bile in my stomach and I was just like Jay you gotta fucking get your shit together dude and like it was a serious deal like I was I, I haven't been too scared in too many situations and this time I was just like I was sitting there with a the bike on top of me on this switchback, like, and I was just like, "This is absolutely nuts <laughs> and I'm looking down like I just did this epic hike a bike it's you know it's in the middle of the night, it's midnight, it's dark. All I see is like silhouette because it was a clear night, so I see silhouettes of mountains, but I'm up at twelve thousand feet, so it's kind of super overwhelming and big, and I'm trying to look down but Like, I have no depth perception of how far these, like, scree switchbacks were gonna take me. And so I just had, like, this anxiety buildup. And it was just like, whoa. (laughs) It was the first time I ever had that in my life. And, like, it only took me a second. Like, I did. I got my wits about myself. And it was just very one step at a time, one careful move at a time, how you situated your bike to kind of turn it around in this wind was it was it took a lot of concentration and uh when i finally got to the bottom it was like it was another one of those wow (laughs) that was intense jay uh i'm pretty (laughs) sure the guy behind me is probably gonna wait that out until morning (laughs) and uh (laughs) And, and, but it didn't end there. It was like a series of like five deep river crossings after that. Cause it turned out it was a super like kind of narrow, deep valley. And I was just doing like river crossing after river crossing that, you know, I had no idea was there. And then like when the sun came up, that's when I got back on my bike again. So it was like this, this like bad dream throughout the whole night where I just traveled through this. This, you know, it was a crazy journey through these mountains. And then it was like, oh, the sun's up. You can get back on your bike now. But it was all about the timing of it all. Um, <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, getting through those moments. I mean, hearing the stories, it sounds crazy and miserable and this and that. But it's like, you know, that's what expeditions consist of. Um, and when you're done with those things, uh you can start to appreciate them and, and and really understand what the humans capable of, what you're capable of going back to what we talked about early mentally, what it takes to get through these situations and, um, you just become a, a different person after them, whether it's good or bad or stronger or weaker, you just, you, they do something to you and they change you going forward. Um, and it was, you know, all in all, that whole event was was really, I don't know if it was life-changing or what to me, but it really opened up my eyes, you know. I mean, I talked a lot about the epicness in these different situations, but, you know, even the small little blip about picking up a sheep and putting on a horse for a man, or um, I had a, a 12-year-old boy, you know, greet me on a horse and ride into a checkpoint with me, raising, uh, swinging a big Kyrgyzstan flag next to me, just yelling. And he said one English word that I understood. And that was champion because, you know, that's how like, you know, people in other countries, that's what they recognize. And that's who they give the props to. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that was certainly like, you know, kind of bone chilling, Uh, have this horse, this 12 year old waving the flag and yelling champion. Like, Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) and just everyone was so nice and, um, and you know, as a, as being at the front end and being competitive and a racer, it's kind of something that maybe, uh, you know, I don't regret anything in life, but but maybe I kind of missed that portion of it because I know a lot of the mid pack riders and things got invited into yurts and shared tea and shared meals or even slept in the yurts because the weather was, was bad at night in the valleys and, uh, you know. I I would wave and smile, but, um, you know, when they were waving their hands to come towards me, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't go there because yeah, I'm moving forward, but, uh, just, uh, amazing overall experience in life.
2: (laughs) Such an amazing tale, Jay, uh, (laughs) such an amazing tale. I'm just, uh, I can't even wrap my brain around what you accomplished um, hiking until you wore the tips of your shoes off. I think I saw something on social media where it says you stopped and bought a pair of Crocs or something I did. like that. Yeah. In case you had to ride or walk in Crocs. I mean, you were obviously very committed to, to getting to that finish line. Um, yeah, super, super impressed, man. Congrats on that. Uh, I'm actually scared uh, to, to hear what's next for you said, cause you know, when you <laughs> accomplish something like this, right. It, it opens up the the possibilities of, of what you are capable of, you know, circling back to the whole mental aspect. Like we talked about, you know, believing in yourself. So, uh, I'm frightened, dude. Don't go much oh. bigger. <laughs> <may>. <laughs> that said,
1: what is next?
0: Um, gosh, I got some personal commitments for the rest of the year, a little bit of gravel racing. I put on, a. Uh, gravel pursuit event at the end of the month, um, in my backyard. So it's kind of, you know, going back to that work thing a bit. Um, and then kind of come mid October, uh, the past few years, traditionally that's a kind of a time that I, I do take some time away from the bike. Uh, I start to think about next year, I plan for next year, reconnect with partners and just look at different projects. So that's kind of October, November, And then, uh, December for me starts off kind of fat bike on snow season again, pretty quickly. And, uh, I'm thinking about some different, um, over in general, I'm thinking about some different projects, um, for next year as far as just, um, maybe not so much, uh, advertised racing and just more, maybe exploring a bit more and having different experiences.
1: Well, I for one want to hear what the stories of whatever it is you do. It sounds like the race that is happening is hardly event based anyway that it is all happening inside your head. So, wherever <laughs> you go, whatever you're doing, I want to hear more about it.
0: <laughs> you bet. Yeah, it's uh like I said earlier, it's it's a lifestyle. Um and I, I feel super privileged and lucky to uh to be able to live it.
1: Fantastic. I think we're going to leave it there. That is a good word of wisdom for the end of this. So let's wrap this episode. If you like what we're doing here, do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts.
2: And most importantly, tell your friends, spread the word on Twitter, Facebook, and in real life. It's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast, Jay. Really, truly an honor, man. Uh, much respect coming from a fellow endurance racer. So thank you for your time.
0: Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
2: All right. So for the athletes at Goo Energy Labs, I'm Fatty. And I'm Uri Housewald. Thanks for listening to the Goo Energy Pinnacle Podcast.